When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Dugout Premier League Preview Football Social Daily Welcome to The Dugout the Premier League Preview podcast from Sports Social featuring players who have plied their trade at the highest level of English football and this weekend it's all about redemption for Manchester United after being humbled humiliated even embarrassed last week against Liverpool. It's all about bouncing back against Tottenham on Saturday. The pressure is immense on United right now and on the manager, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, and there are big decisions to be made. Does he stick with the same players and give them a shot at redeeming themselves, or does he prove a point and change things up? That game, no doubt, the biggest talking point ahead of a Premier League weekend in which Liverpool hosts a high-flying Brighton, Leicester and Arsenal meet in a clash of two sides who have seen an upturn in form, and can Newcastle get their first win of the season and of their new era with a shock result against league leaders Chelsea? We'll discuss all of that and more on today's episode of the show. I'm Niall McCorn, and in the dugout with me today, two former top flight professionals. A warm welcome back to the podcast to ex-Brighton, Southampton and Leicester midfielder, Dean Hammond. How are you, Dean? I'm very well, Niall. Very well, mate. Thank you very much. Good to have you back on the show. And alongside Dean, a man who won the league title twice with Everton, played more than 440 league games in his career and yet amazingly never ever faced any of his former clubs as we found out a couple of weeks ago Trevor Stevens with us how are you doing Trevor I'm good Niall very good thank you very much I still can't get over the fact you've never faced any of your former clubs in nearly 500 games that you played or whatever it was that's remarkable still I can't get over it I know and uh, and as I said a couple of weeks ago that I I, I deliberately chose a path where I wouldn't um, experience that uh, it virtually became impossible for me to play any of my old teams. And, and again, that was just purely a, a personal thing. I didn't want to go back and, and play against uh, the teams I'd played for before. Uh, and it worked out. It did work out. And you've got a few uh, pieces of silverware to show for it along the way as well. Right, nine games to get through. So let's get stuck in. And speaking of getting stuck in, lots of people have been getting stuck into Manchester United and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in particular this week after last week's incredible game at Old Trafford where Liverpool were the winners by five goals to nil. But before we talk about United's next test, which is Spurs away on Saturday, I was keen to find out if either of you two had ever been on the end of any hammerings like that. And if so, what was the week's training like in the build-up to the next game? I'll start with you, Dean. Have you ever been uh, on the receiving end of a bit of a thumping like United had last week? I've obviously lost games and, and, and there's been poor performances individually and collectively as a team during my career, 100%. Um, but... There's been a few free nils in there, and the hard to take as a player, um, and the and the week after in training is yeah, it's dreadful. There's there's no hiding away from it. That that Monday morning coming in, and then you get the video analysis. It used to be called video nasty. You get into the <laughs> uh, the meeting room. The manager would walk in, not really say a word, and just yeah, you just see the clips. And there's there's no hiding place, and that's just the beginning really. Um, and then it was more. It was a reaction of the players. Look, I think every player is honest. Mm. And you know when you've not performed, you know you've been outclassed and you've not been at your best. So 
I probably have. I can't remember it. I must admit, I can't remember it. I wouldn't throw you under the bus like that, Dean. I'm just going to say, he's so good well, in the middle of the park that he never got beat more than 3-0. <laughs> Someone will find out the real truth about that. Yeah, if, probably if I was getting built 3-0, I would have got sent off, so I don't remember it <laughs> What about you, Trevor? You've played for some top teams in your time, including the national team as well. Ever on the receiving end of a bit of a thumping? I'm a little bit like like Dean. Uh, 3-0 was... was was bad but there was one that springs to mind and it was uh it was the first game of the season in 1985-86 and uh Tottenham came to Goodison and we just won the league right we just won the league so it was like all pomp and ceremony right and flags and this and that uh big moment uh the team playing the first home game uh 4-1 we got beat Clive Allen scored a hat-trick um, Gary Lineker made his debut. So you can imagine it was like a really big occasion that went flat, like super flat. And, and, and Dean described it. Uh, you get to that point where there's only one way to go and th- that way is up. So things turned around from that first game. But to be, get beat 4-1 in the August sunshine at Goodison after uh, unveiling the... Uh, it's sort of Premier League flag or as it was their first division flag and, and, and showing the trophy off. Oh, not a great not a great memory, but Clive Allen had a lovely afternoon. <laughs> Sent shivers down Trevor's spine. I can visibly see that then. <laughs> he didn't like him talking about a 4-1 defeat. Let's talk about that game involving Manchester United then. They take on Tottenham away from home. It's a Saturday kickoff, 5.30pm. Now the focus of this game will pretty much entirely be on United, Dean, particularly on the manager, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. As we said, smashed 5-0 last week by Liverpool. How do you think he'll approach this in terms of a team selection? And what would the viewpoint be from the players within the dressing room? Do you think the manager will choose the same team against Tottenham so they can almost redeem themselves? Or do you think he'll choose an entirely different team to make a point to the players that were involved last week and their poor performance? It's a brilliant question, Noel, and I think it's probably one of the issues at Manchester United. I think, a personal opinion, I think there's certain players within the team that have to play now. Let's go to let's talk about Ronaldo. Really, I mean, it'd be too big of a story and too big of news not to play him. Um, whether Ole Gunnar Solskjaer wants to play him or rest him, I don't think he has that option now. And I think he's trying to fit too many players within to the team to try and keep them happy instead of picking a team that can can win a fixture that can win a game. If you look at the the Liverpool fixture, it's easy in hindsight to say you would have gone with a different team, but. You know, playing Ronaldo, Fernandez, Rashford, Greenwood, you're far too open against a, a really good Liverpool team um, who are defensively strong. So it's an interesting one. I think he will make changes, but I'm not sure he's got the freedom because of pressure he's under. Yeah, I think this is fascinating, really. I think this is one of those really interesting threads when it comes to team news because I was wondering, Trevor, whether it makes it a harder decision for Solskjaer knowing that another poor result, if they lose against Spurs, for example, that increases the pressure even more. So do you still pick your best players even though they were dreadful in the last game? Do you know what? It's almost out of his hands. You know, um, I think fate is going to play a hand in this Uh, and and fate will, will play a hand in because... He's got to put 11 players out there who play um, 100% committed uh, to each other, to the club. And if he's got anyone, anyone who's not, um, you know, towing the line or going that extra mile, uh, 
it could all come tumbling down for him. Obviously, Ronaldo's got to play, and, and Dean had many good points in what he was saying there. Ronaldo's got to play. Now, Ronaldo, has, um, if you look at his career, he's always played at his best in, in teams that kind of counter-attack, um, not teams that absorb all for 90 minutes and then counter-attack, but a team that is... And he operates better when he can open his legs and, and run and find spaces rather than being static. Um, uh, you know, when defences sit in there, even if Man United get the ball wide there are, and it's slow to get there, he's, he's surrounded, you know, that he... It's well known that he's a, a goal-scoring threat. The fact that they cannot find a place for someone like Jesse Lingard, who has, you know, rebuilt himself and found a level of confidence at West Ham and then brought back into Man United, the fact that they can't find a spot for him just means that the squad is completely imbalanced. They've got too much strength in in too fewer places, and they've got weaknesses in others. And then you've got this whole um, uh, idea that. Uh, Solskjaer comes out with last week, well, we're Man United, we need to try and take the game to the opposition at Old Trafford. That, you can only do that if you've prepared for that. And they hadn't prepared for it really last week and, and Liverpool just picked them off. Um, and so the, it, was, it was embarrassing in that respect for the management. But now you can go to Tottenham and Tottenham will be expected to be on the front foot. So it's a counter-attacking game, I think, for Manchester United. And that could um, fall into their... Uh, into their hands or could work for them. Uh, so, as a, as a prediction, difficult to say, but knowing what's happened in the, in the recent past, Solskjaer has always pulled out a result. Uh, and this could, this could help them. Because Tottenham are, are okay. Uh, that they're, not, they're not great. They are, they're vulnerable themselves. They're not um, uh, uh, the best Tottenham that they can be. So, I, it's an opportunity for Manchester United. And I think it's that group of players will have to put all of last week behind them and, and just concentrate on that 90 minutes. Well, I wonder how things will unfold at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Fascinating contest this one. Saturday, half five, Manchester United, the visitors. Two sides in good form also clash at King Power Stadium on Saturday lunchtime, half 12 start. It's Leicester against Arsenal and Leicester are unbeaten in four in the Premier League. They were winners in their last European game against Spartak Moscow and they won in the Carabao Cup midweek. After a bit of a rocky start, Trevor, do you think Leicester have begun to find their feet now or is there still a bit of work to do for Brendan Rodgers, do you feel? Uh, no, I think he's gone, he's gone the right way, uh, Brendan. Uh, we're used to seeing some really good football, weren't we, from, from Leicester last season and they could really give anyone a game. Um, they kind of lost their mojo early part of, of the season, but then you, you look at the injuries that they've had. Um, you know, they've got the European uh, uh competition to to go at and we know that that's always difficult when you've got a squad that's not as deep in quality as some of the others but I think he's he's riding the storm pretty well I, I said the early parts of the season they weren't exciting me like they have done in the past uh, but I think that uh, Brendan is, is such a good manager that uh, there's no pressure on him uh, he, he makes his own pressure uh, and he's, he's got some good players getting a couple of players back would, would help him. He's got goals in that team. I, I think they're absolutely fine, Leicester. I think it's only a matter of time. I remember the Premier League, if you get back-to-back wins in the Premier League, I mean, you can jump five, six places. It doesn't it doesn't take much for that league table to to change. Uh, and, and, and 
you've heard it time and time again how happy Brendan is at Leicester. The support he gets uh, from the players, the crowd, the ownership. Um, it, it's a really strong and good place uh, place to be. So I expect Leicester to be up there in that top five and six, um, you know, making it awkward for other teams, going on little runs themselves. Um, and I don't think it's any panic at all, you know, in, within that club. You used to play for Leicester, of course, Dean, and you're still involved with the club and you watch a lot of their games. Would you agree with what Trevor says that now things are just starting to click and Leicester should be all right and up and amongst it come the end of the season? 100%, 100%. I think, you know, they've had an indifferent start, 100%. I think that's down to the to the injuries. Um, I think the change of formation has helped. I think going to three at the back, um, the introduction and the return of Johnny Evans has been huge as well. You know, his leadership skills, um, his experience has been massive. Um, obviously, Tillemans um, is a fantastic player and has found his goal-scoring boots again. Um, Dakar, uh, you know, a, a, a summer signing with expectation, has found his form. The four goals he scored um, in Europe, the goal against Manchester United. Um, he looks um, an ideal, ready replacement for when Jamie Vardy, you know, is, is ready to kind of move, not move on, but, you know, would plays less games, has less of an influence, less of an impact on games. But Jamie is still scoring goals as well. Um, so I think the balance is better within the team. Um, Ineacho, I think, is a brilliant player. I think he's very, very underrated. Um, the assist he gets, he's a very good footballer as well. I think Leicester have got some exceptional players. Um, and the last four games has just been a brilliant reaction by the group and by the by the squad and by Brendan Rodgers and just shows what a good manager is. Because after the 2-2 draw against Crystal Palace, it would have been tough because they went into the international break after being 2-0 up against Crystal Palace at half-time and probably could have lost that game. To come back and get the four results they have, I think just shows their spirit, shows their mentality. So I think they'll be fine, and it will be really interesting to see what Leicester do this season because they're they'll be want they want to defend the FA Cup. They're still in the Carabao Cup, obviously beating Brighton during the week. They're looking better in Europe, so it'd be good if they could get through the group. And I don't, what are they two, three points off a Champions League spot? So yeah, it's pretty rosy at Leicester at the moment, and they're, they're a good team. I enjoy watching them. Yeah, I think it was always going to be the case that they would pick up in form after a difficult start and losing players, particularly defensive players, to injury never helps. Agree also what you say about Ian Acho. I think the assists are definitely something that he's improved on and the hold-up play as well. That It's, it's kind of the uglier side of being a forward player, but he's so effective at it. Uh, in terms of Arsenal then, they're Leicester's opponents this weekend. They haven't lost a game in two months since they were beaten 5-0 by Man City at the end of August. They comfortably dispatched Aston Villa last Friday night. It was easy work for them at the Emirates. Do you think they've now hit their stride as well, Trevor? Uh, it's a completely different looking Arsenal, isn't it, from what we saw at the start of the season. I really thought Arteta, uh, his court was on a shaky peg. Um, it was almost getting to the point that it didn't seem like he could motivate his players. And then I watched them against Aston Villa and the attitude had completely changed. Uh it really annoys me this, by the way, how <laughs> players can change their attitudes when they want to do it. Uh, the kickoff against Aston Villa, Aubameyang, um, charges towards the centre-backs when they receive the ball back from the kickoff. And he puts them under pressure immediately and then people follow. And like set, um, it set the stall out you know, from the first second and of course, they go on and, and they put in a really convincing performance and they don't let that slack. So it's become more of a team um, 
a, a purposeful team effort, I think, in this uh, you know in this last few weeks. And you can see it, it looks a happy club with ambition all of a sudden. Instead of you know papering over the cracks, they seem to have got something uh, solid to go forward with. And it is a young squad. Um, you know, Smith Rowe has come through particularly well, but you've got to say that the front players are going to dictate it. Lacazette started to like run around, for goodness sake. Aubameyang's running around. It's like, you know, this is what footballers do and, and some of them just don't get it, but they seem to have got it now. You know, the best teams run around really hard. And if, if you're a, a, an okay, okay team trying to get to that level, I tell you, first thing you've got to do is run. And Man United have suffered from not doing that. And now they're going to have to run. And, and Arsenal have, you know, bitten the bullet and now they're doing it. Uh, and it may, sound, it may sound basic and it may sound irrelevant. And I'm not talking super technical formations or anything. I'm just talking about um, the willingness for people to work uh, under instruction and guidance from the management on, on when they should be doing that sometimes, of course. But it's a key. It's the key element to any successful side is that you work together and you work hard together. And now Arsenal seem to have that. They've, they've, they've taken that under under their wings, and now they can apply their skills, which are really, really good. It's a really strong squad. Apply that on top of of, of the work ethic that they've shown to have in the last few weeks. It's taken two years, but finally the penny's dropped, I think, yeah. when it comes to running around. Uh, good news for Mikel Arteta. Tough test for Arsenal as they're on the road at King Power Stadium. They face Leicester Saturday, half 12. Three o'clock on Saturday, Liverpool are back at Anfield and they take on Brighton, one of your former teams, Dean. And after last week's dominant win at Manchester United, in which the confidence must be sky high at Liverpool because of that, do you think Brighton can resist this Liverpool side or are they simply too good for them? Well, it's going to be tough now. I mean, the back-to-back Premier League wins for, for uh, Liverpool, both being 5-0, you know, 10 goals in two games is is, is an amazing feat, really. Uh, but Brian defensively are strong. You know, let's, let's take away the Man City performance. If you look at the Man City performance, they went uh, toe-to-toe with Man City in the first half. You know, they kind of went man-for-man, followed players around the pitch, and, and Man City were just too much for them. And Graham Potter, I think, has openly admitted he got it tactically wrong. But second half, when they changed their approach, they gave Man City a game. They really, really did. So, And Brighton have got, I think they've had four clean sheets already this season. Defensively, they're strong with with Webster, with with Dunk, with Duffy, who's come back and impressed. He really has. Sanchez is a, is a very good goalkeeper. Um, they've got Asuma that's returning. Uh, Muwepu looks a decent signing, really athletic player in midfield. And... And Adam Lallana returning to Liverpool, you know, he you know, won the Premier League there, won the Champions League and, and has, a, has a major part to play in the effect he's had on the players or the younger players on and off the pitch. Very, very good player. Played with Adam, exceptional player. And he's doing very, very well because he's got himself fit and he's, he's remained fit. So it's going to be tough. Obviously, Liverpool are favourites. They're free-flowing, they're, free they're scoring goals. They're very, very confident. They're playing at home. But I think, you know, Brighton are not a pushover. They're really, really not. If they can keep it tight, disciplined and keep possession of the ball like they like to and frustrate Liverpool, if they can stay within the game, they do get opportunities, Brighton. They do create chances. It's just whether they can take them. And and that's been probably the issue in the last two or three games. You know, the game against Norwich, nil-nil. The game against Arsenal, I think, before that was nil-nil. Um, only scoring um, once against... Um, Man City, um, I think it's only two goals in the last four games. So it's become a, a little bit of a problem again. 
but the performances have, have been good. So I think they'll give Liverpool a game, but Liverpool will be favourites because they're just in fantastic form. Yeah, absolutely are. And I think for Brighton as well, if you look at their next couple of fixtures, they've had Manchester City last week, Liverpool this week, but to come, they've got Leeds, Newcastle and Villa. So they'll fancy themselves with the form that they've been in, that they can take some points from those games. After Liverpool's display last week, Trevor, how much confidence will that give them? I mean, it's it's easy to say loads of confidence because it's against a rival at Old Trafford and it's an emphatic win. Is there a danger of there being sort of any resting on the laurels or do you don't think Jurgen Klopp will allow that? I think you know the answer to that. Uh, now, there's no chance <laughs> that they, they will be complacent. Absolutely zero chance. Uh, they, they will have already talked about this week of just three points. Uh, and again, this is three points this weekend. That's what they'll be focused on. Of course, their confidence is sky high. I think what you did see last week, which is double trouble, really, for, for anyone who are there facing at the moment, is how clinical they were um, and the, the amount of chances that were taken early in the game. Um, and, and they're getting ahead before you even settled into a football match uh, as the opposition. And they, they are just, they're just fantastic. And you know, players um, like Keita, for instance, who's come in and start to score some goals. Uh, and he was a player who was, you probably thought, maybe he's not going to settle at Liverpool, but he's now adding to Liverpool uh, to Liverpool's stock. Jordan Henderson, for me, is is playing as, as well as I've ever seen him play. He's directing operations um, within the central midfield role. Remember, Fabinho's not been playing. So it's, it's amazing. And Firmino is right back up there at the best of his form at any time that uh, he's been a Liverpool player. And of course, you can't not mention Salah, who is actually driven by his own thought processes of being the greatest he can possibly be. He's got that Ronaldo head head uh, or mindset. Um, and he, he wants to just, you know, create history. And when you've got players in your team like that, and I could go on to several more in there as well. I didn't even mention Van Dijk. Um, it's so, so powerful. There's almost becoming like a, a mini league, isn't there? There's like a, a league of three. It used to be a league of six in England. It's become a league of three, you know, Man City, Chelsea and this Liverpool side. And only time will tell if that actually happens. But for the moment, those two, two those three teams are showing a different level. And Liverpool at Anfield at any time, tough, very, very tough. Um, at this moment in time, they are top of, top of their form, top of uh, their confidence levels. Big ask for, for Brighton, although I'm, I have been a great admirer of Brighton this season under, under Graham Potter. Yeah, as you say, Liverpool in top form, but they're not top of the league. One of the other teams you mentioned, Chelsea, they're top of the pile at the moment. And we'll be talking about them next as they travel to Newcastle United. We'll do it after this on The Dugout. The Dugout, Premier League preview, Football Social Daily. The Dugout, Premier League preview. Football Social Daily. Welcome back to the podcast. This is the dugout from Sports Social. My name's Niall. I've got Dean Hammond and Trevor Stephen, two former top flight players alongside me. And we're going to discuss six more Premier League games that take place this weekend, starting at St. James's Park, where Newcastle welcome Chelsea. And they're still chasing a first win of the season. Dean, do you think they'll be waiting another week, though, with Chelsea coming to town? Or do you think they can spring an unlikely surprise? <laughs> Uh, well, I think they'll be waiting another week, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> Chelsea are just a brilliant team. 
I think they are. That's what they are. They're a fantastic team. You know, Trevor's mentioned it already uh, in the show that they have players that work really work to a really diligent structure. You know, a disciplined structure. Um, and with the return of, of Mason Mount as well at Chelsea, I think he's he's huge for the football club. I think obviously Lukaku's injured at the moment. Werner's injured, but I think previously, you know, Chelsea were stuttering a little bit for the high levels that, that, that they've achieved. And Mason Mount coming back into the team just gives them something a little bit different. He's a little bit, you know, he's an intelligent footballer. He's very, very creative, takes responsibilities, takes chances. And his hat-trick last week was, was fantastic. So I think Chelsea are just a brilliant team. Um, and I think they're the team to catch this year. I really, really do. I think it's going to be close. I think it's between three teams, uh, Man City and Liverpool and, and Chelsea. Um, but Newcastle, you never know. You know, with the fans there at St James's Park, it's a brilliant atmosphere. They got a, a, a draw against Newcastle, almost a restart um, after Steve Bruce had left. Um, and there's obviously the buzz up there with the, with the new ownership and the excitement for the future. Um, so you never know. You never know in the Premier League. But I just, it's a difficult fixture against Chelsea because they are such a brilliant team. Yeah, you just know now that I've teed it up and said that they're going to be waiting another week, that they are going to go and do it. That's just the way these things work. You can't even uh, say anything about that in the Premier League anymore because you always get your comeuppance. Newcastle, welcome Chelsea, Saturday, three o'clock. Now let's discuss one of your former sides, Trevor, Burnley. They welcome Brentford to Turf Moor. It's a Saturday, three o'clock kickoff. We've just discussed the Newcastle-Chelsea game. So with that in mind, is there a better chance really for Burnley to pick up a first win considering the two have got a real tough game against the league leaders? I'm worried, to, I'm worried for Burnley um, because they've not been playing badly, but they've been losing games or, or not converting um, a drawing position into a, into a winning position. Um, Sean Dyche has committed himself to the club. The, the owners are very supportive, of course, uh, and they want to try and make that extra step where they're guaranteed literally Premier League football uh, every season. Uh, this season, it's just become a bit of a, a struggle for them to score goals um, and then to see games out. I saw them at Everton earlier in the season and they were the better team, uh, but ended up being beaten 3-1. And you've got to, you've got to convert your opportunities and at Turf Moor is a difficult place to go to. Uh, any team will tell you that until you get that first goal against a Burnley side. It's a struggle. It's been less so this uh, this season. I just think the Burnley might have been caught with not changing their squad um, or, or refreshing it enough uh, over the last couple of years. It's very similar squad to what they've had in the past couple of seasons. And it can come a little bit dull. Um I'm hoping not, because I think they deserve to to stay up. They they try and play some good football, well structured, of course, uh, under under Sean Dyche. But the more the games go by without this victory, it, it's just mounting pressure. Uh, and this is a this is obviously a tough game. Home advantage should count for them, but we can only wait and see. You mentioned those games at Turf Moor and how it can be a tough place to go. How much of a concern is it that maybe they've lost that slight edge? Because if we look at Burnley's home form, I'm not sure whether you were aware of this, Trevor, but it's one win at Turf Moor in 10 months in all competitions. And that came last month, September, in the EFL Cup against Rochdale, who are a League Two side. Do you think that will be the biggest issue when it comes to staving off relegation? Because as we know with the Sean Dyche side, particularly Burnley in recent years, they're always competitive near enough every game. They'll always give you a game. But if you can't pick up points at home, you're going to struggle, aren't you? 
Well, it's been the, the mantra about survival over the years, hasn't it, um, for teams who know that they're going to be in a relegation battle of some sort, is to really maximise what you can at home and anything that you get away from home is, is a good bonus. Uh, and so far this season uh, and into into last season as well, the home uh, fixtures for Burnley have been a, have been a problem. Uh, not being able to get ahead in enough games, not holding on to leads when they do. Uh, and, and Sean Dyche must be, I was going to pulling his hair out, he won't be doing that, but um, it, it's been difficult for him to change it off the bench. Uh, they are pretty well one-dimensional in the way that, way that they play. Um, and if it doesn't work or they don't see a game through, they can be vulnerable. Uh, and, and Turf Moor has become a little bit of a hunting ground for other teams to go and get points, and, and that needs to change. Brentford, you know, have had a brilliant start of the season, but they can't, you know, keep this going and keep this going. Um, and I, I would have thought Burnley would have got points against Norwich um, a couple of weeks ago, but didn't. And, and this, they must be looking at uh, a three-pointer here, Burnley, as a home side against a promoted side. But having said that, Brentford have also impressed me uh, in the way they've approached games this season. Yeah, I definitely think Burnley need to be looking at this game with three points as a minimum in mind. I'm sure they do in every game, as every team does, but particularly with Newcastle, who are still chasing their first win, playing against Chelsea. I just think coming up against the Brentford side, even though that they've been very impressive so far this season, I just think that in terms of the way the fixtures have fallen, Burnley have got a great opportunity to get those first three points on the board in terms of a first win of the season. They welcome Brentford, as we say, to Turf Moor Saturday, three o'clock kickoff. As for Norwich, down the bottom of the table, they take on Leeds. We'll continue on the relegation theme. That's a Sunday 2pm kickoff. Is this game some way, in some ways, more important for Leeds than it is for Norwich? Because Norwich were beaten 7-0 last week. Everyone said already, that's it, they're done, they're going down. With that in mind, does that mean that Leeds really need to capitalise on a wounded Norwich? I think so, but you're looking at two teams that are completely different. I think Norwich now are in the, are the advantage of there's no expectation for them. You know, no one's expecting of them to do anything now. So there's a bit more freedom. Um, and with Leeds, I think for the first time in a long time, um, there's a real expectation, you know, to, to definitely stay in the Premier League and build on their, their Premier League journey um, since their return. And it's strange. I covered the game um, against uh, Southampton um, a couple of weeks ago against Leeds and they didn't have a shot on target, which was really, really surprising for the way Leeds play, the way they work. Um, Southampton outrun them, outpowered them, outfought them really, which again is a is a surprise because Leeds were so impressive last year. Um, you know, Patrick Bamford missing is you know if you lose that amount of goals, it's going to be a problem. And Leeds haven't scored many goals, um, so I think they do need to start now. They need to start picking up, um, and they've been they've put some decent performance in this season. You know, they played the West Ham game and played very very well, but lost two one. Um, so they've been. It's either they've put a good performance in and lost, not performed and lost as well, and that's not a good ingredient. That's not a good combination. If you need to be able to pick up points during the season when you're not playing very well and you sneak a win, you sneak a point, and and that can build up. So it's an interesting one with Leeds. Again, I don't think they really improved their squad. They didn't really improve, um, add to their squad massively, and I think you need to do that when you return to the Premier League. You need to continue to progress, continue to to move forward but there's definitely an expectation at Ellen Road that they've not had before especially with the return of the fans. Dean do you think um, you know Calvin Phillips is 
is almost um, carries the team sometimes on his own, the heart and soul and the drive of Leeds. And when he's not there, they become a little bit less effective or, or, or lack a bit of belief. 100%. I think Calvin Phillips is, is a brilliant player. I think he... You know, he could definitely play in the one of the big boys, the the big teams. He's got everything for me. Defensively strong. He's a leader for such a young man. Um, the only thing you've probably got against him that is, he's a Leeds fan and he loves the club and cares for the club. So he's probably carrying that a bit at the moment as well. Where his performances have been good, um, but they've not probably been to the standard he would want. You know, the standards he'd set, even though they've been very, very good. But no, I think he's a brilliant player. He really is. And, and when he's on form, protecting that defence, driving from midfield, leading and putting other players around him, um, it's brilliant. But I think just because like the return of the fans, um, the, the team's not done as well as expected, he'll be feeling that as well. He will be. Yeah, definitely. I think that Calvin Phillips deserves immense praise. And I think Patrick Bamford not scoring goals as well, or even not being available at times, has definitely hindered Leeds. This is a horrible question, Trevor. And I feel sorry for any Norwich fan listening in. But how bad are they? Because I've already heard some people suggest that Derby's unwanted record of 11 Premier League points in 2009 could well be beaten by Norwich City. Do you think that that record is at risk? Possibly, yeah. I mean, they look like uh, they look like they're not good enough. Um, first, first and foremost, and some and sometimes you can get away with that if you've got a really well structured side. But to me, they don't even look particularly well structured under, under Daniel Farker this season. Um, I don't think they're equipped to compete. Uh, you know, the intensity of, of the Premier League uh, and they're trying to play a game that they, they want to be on the front foot, but they, then they get spread and they get picked off and they, they're far too spread out as a team. And when you do that, you become dis, disjointed, disconnected. And the teams in the Premier League are just going to have, um, you know... So a free role at picking away chances and, and, and scoring against them. Uh, and 7-0 at, at Chelsea, it, it could have been more. Um, but what did, they, what did they do from here? All they can do is take the next game. But they, re- they need to restructure. They need to um, come up with a, another plan, um, a more defensive plan, if they can, and try that. Because there's no doubt, if they continue in the way that they are, playing a relatively open game, um, and not physically being up to the challenge is, is what it seems to me at the moment, then they're going to get annihilated. And that Derby record could easily be thrown in the, in the bin from, from what I've seen so far. And i tell you what, Leeds will be going there expecting to get three points. And Leeds have not been at, at the races either, really, this season. But they will say, this is a game that we can go and win. And everybody's saying that against Norwich at the moment. Yeah, Norwich are in wretched form. And that Derby record, by the way, just 11 points. I think Norwich on two at the moment. So still certainly a long way to go. It looks like there's no real seeing where their next three points, if any three points this season, are coming from for Norwich. But then again, as we've already said, the Premier League's a strange old league. You never know what might happen. Still three more games to discuss. We'll do it next here on The Dugout. The Dugout Premier League Preview. Football Social Daily. The Dugout Premier League Preview. Football Social Daily. Welcome back to the show. I'm Niall. I've got Dean Hammond, Trevor Stephen alongside me. Two players who have played 
in the top flight of English football and we've still got three more Premier League games to look forward to this weekend. Starting off this section, we'll discuss Manchester City against Crystal Palace, a three o'clock kickoff on Saturday. Now, some Man City fans, Dean, have suggested that their team has looked as good as they ever have under Pep Guardiola this season, which should bring fear to every other Premier League club, I think, if that is the case. But do they need that to be the case simply because of how strong everyone else is? We've already discussed how good Chelsea are and how good Liverpool are on today's show. Yeah, definitely not. I think, the, you know, they've, they've raised, they've rise to the challenge. I think, obviously, with the quality of Liverpool and Chelsea, uh, they know it's going to be a tough season. Um, but they're, they're brilliant, Man City. You know, they're, the way they attack... You know, in Grealish, in Foden. I mean, Bernard De Silva's been fantastic. You know, the return of him, you know, he didn't start the season. I don't think he started the first game. But ever since then, he's probably been their most effective player and they're probably their best player. Um, Jesus looks like he's an effective player again, even playing is a little bit wider. Um, but their movement uh, is, is, is brilliant. And the pace they do it at and the awareness and the combinations... Um, the attacking players is brilliant. But defensively, they look really strong as well. You know, Diaz and, and Laporte, is there a better partnership in, in the Premier League, central defensively, you know? Um, so Man City are very, very strong uh, and they're exciting to watch. They, they really, really are. Um, but they have, there have been some indifferent results. Uh, I covered the game against Southampton and Southampton should have beaten them. You know, Southampton were the better team. They really, really pressed Man City all over the pitch and caused them problems through that. And Man City... Looked a little bit hungover from the Champions League. Um, they always have that fixture after the Champions League, and they're not not quite at their best. Um, so there's gonna, will there be a uh, a massive um, points tally that needs to be um, produced this season? I expect so to win it because I think the bigger teams will dominate the smaller teams in the Premier League. Um, but I think Man City have got always got half an hour on that Champions League. I think that's what they really, really want and came so close last year, you know, losing the final. Um, but again, such brilliant teams and, and Chelsea are not going to give that up easy. But Man City, I think, are a better team. You know, the young, the younger players they've got, Grealish and Foden playing together. I think, you know, Foden can play anywhere. He's such a player. That, you know, the performance he put in for England playing more of a central midfielder, his passes, his distribution was fantastic. But then when he runs with the ball, and he takes players on and he plays wide and he can score goals. Brilliant player. So, yeah, Man City, exciting. Probably the most exciting team to watch, them in Liverpool. Um, but Chelsea, just a brilliant team. So tough, really tough. Probably not answer your question, but yeah. It's, it's <laughs> Sat on the team. fence firmly there. I love it, though, to be fair. Um, Phil Foden missed a penalty for Manchester City in the Carabao Cup midweek. They lost their iron grip on the trophy. Trevor, do you think they'd be too bothered by that? I think it'll irritate them uh, that that they allowed that to happen. Uh, but it'll probably help them in the longer run. Uh, less games um, to to put a team out in. Uh, and maybe it might help them in the in the Champions League as well. Who knows? But uh, it's unusual to see them, um, you know, go out of any competition. Uh, you, you've got to say that West Ham or something else as well this season, aren't they? I mean, it's a never... Never say die attitude that David Moyes has got there. I, I have to agree with Dean. Manchester City uh, are, are evolving yet again under under Pep and the way that he brings out the best of those players, the standards that they set for themselves uh, uh, and, and the standards that are set by the manager are so high. Um, it's 
it's dragged really. And you know, to be honest, I think it's Man City who's dragged the the, the Premier League forward over the last few years. They, they're the ones who have really changed the style of football, and, and Pep's been very much part of that. And other teams have adapted and, and adapted really, really well. And that's why I've got such a strong Premier League at the moment. But I don't see anything other than um, you know a home a home victory for for Man City. Although I've been very impressed with what Patrick Vieira is doing at Crystal Palace. I think he's um, he's taken to it better than I thought he would because there was a bit of a, a doubt whether he was uh, had the quality. Because we've seen many many a top player go into management and uh, and, and be found out. But it doesn't look like he's, he's, it's going to be the way with him. He seems to have the respect of his players and he's got them playing in a way that you can see his stamp on it. Um, and his selections have been uh, attacking and the team works together well as a unit. Uh, so they're going to be tough to beat, but Man City have got too, man, too much ammunition. They really, they really have. And I, I don't see them uh, having any sort of hangover from the negative result in the, in the Carabao Cup. Yeah, I agree. And I agree what you say about Vieira as well. Six draws, though, in their opening nine Premier League games. Just feels well, they like... should have beat Newcastle, by the way. I yeah. mean, they should oh, yeah. absolutely beat Newcastle. And they conceded late against Brighton as well, didn't they? And they conceded late against Arsenal. So, yeah, just a, a few moments there in Crystal Palace's season where you think if only they had been able to hold on, they might even be slightly higher up the table. So uh, that game takes place at the Etihad, three o'clock Saturday. You mentioned West Ham. Let's talk about them, Trevor, then. They've travelled to Aston Villa. That's a 4.30 kickoff on Sunday. Just how confident are they at the moment? Are they playing with a sort of a swagger and a style that we weren't expecting from a team like West Ham? Because even their, what was effectively a second string side, managed to see off a Manchester City team midweek, as we've mentioned, who were the holders of the trophy. I think it's a, a what's been instilled into them, and it's it's not happened overnight. It's happened um, really since David Moyes returned to West Ham, is that he has slowly changed the the mentality of the group of players that he's working with to to not accept defeat, and he's then therefore created. Um, a structure in his team which is hard hard to beat in itself, and the, the players are working for him. And but he's also got the mature, maturity of players. Um, you know, Declan Rice obviously stands out uh, hugely, but Mikel Antonio, who is you know is a one man wrecking ball up front, really, uh, and and everybody else is and uh, and uh, Bowen as well. Fantastic how he's adapted to. Uh, Premier League football. He's brought in these players, you know, the Czech boys that he's brought in. And I even look at like, Fabianski and goal. I think he's a really excellent goalkeeper. They've got a lot of um, a lot of substance to what they're doing, a great belief. They've got a great stadium. But you can't look any further than David Moyes and what he's done. He's, he's brought grit and determination, true grit, uh, to, the, to the group of players. And winning, you know, um, builds confidence, and, and they're a super confident group of group of players. I don't think they're going to, you know, really be able to take that step into that top three. They're nowhere nowhere near that. But that kind of remind me of a Leicester a few years ago when they they doggedly got through and doggedly got through. Uh, somehow were winning it, but it was mentality and organisation. And there's a lot of that same thing going on at West Ham. Yeah, still in the cup, 
still in the Europa League, doing well in the Premier League. It's all rosy for West Ham at the moment. Not so much so for Aston Villa. Dean Smith, of course, will be searching for a reaction after that defeat to Arsenal last Friday night where they were outthought, outplayed. And as I said before, it was easy work for Arsenal in that game. At least they're at home, though, when they welcome West Ham 4.30 Sunday. And time to discuss our final game where Watford hosts Southampton, one of Dean's former sides, Probably, well, not probably, definitely my least favourite of Dean Hammond's former club. So that goes without a say. And three o'clock start at Vicarage Road. This is a big game for both sides in the context of the table. And from a Southampton perspective, Dean, the recent fixtures have been important ones, haven't they? Leeds, Burnley, Watford, especially with the start to the season Southampton had. Those would have been three fixtures that they would have been targeting for sure. Yes, 100%. Um, it's, a, it's a kind of a mini fixture period that they've got that is really, really important for them. Uh, it is it's probably the first time that, that Ralph, the manager, has been questioned um, in terms of results um, because he's had full range at the football club to, to build a philosophy, uh, to introduce uh, the younger players and, and build the club from within. And I think he's done that very well. But you are judged on results. So the, the win against Leeds was really, really important. Um, last weekend against Burnley, they performed very, very well. It was actually a really entertaining game. Um, and Burnley, you know, either team could have won it, but Southampton created four or five chances, especially in, in, in the, the first half. Nathan Redmond, you know, must be one of the misses of the season. I'm not sure how he did it. Um, Brower looks a real, real force on loan from Chelsea. I think he's going to be a real player. Um, and Livramento at right back, he got his first goal for the club. Um, looks like a real talent. He, he's such a, you know, athletic player, forward-thinking player. So you know, Southampton know they need this. This is a very, very important fixture them uh, against Watford. And if they can pick up a result at, at the weekend, that would be seven points from the, you know, the three games you mentioned, and that's impressive. And that these are the teams that they need to look to get results at. They always perform well against the bigger teams. Again, the Man City performance was very, very good, and I think they could have won that. They've drawn against Manchester United already, but they lost the Wolves game, which is a game they were expected to win. So that added a little bit of pressure. So I think if they can, after the Leeds win, an excellent performance against Burnley, unfortunately didn't get the win, but if they can get a result of the weekend against Watford, um, they would be in a strong and healthy position because it's a young squad, and it's a progressing squad, and it's a learning squad. So I think this would do them a world of good um, for their confidence moving forward in the season. In terms of Watford then, Trevor, just finally, Claudio Ranieri lost his first game 5-0 to Liverpool. In his second game, he beats the other side of Merseyside by scoring five goals himself. It seems a little bit like a mixed bag at the moment for him. How do you assess Watford's performance last week against your old team Everton? And how do you think they'll do this time around against Southampton? Well, it's been an interesting start, hasn't it, for Ranieri? Who would have wanted Liverpool as... um... Uh, as your opposition in the first game, and obviously they got pretty well spanked against uh, against Liverpool. I could not envisage them going to Goodison and scoring five goals. I still I, I look at the result now and I can't believe it. Uh, for some reason, Everton have switched off from what they were earlier in the season, and Watford took full advantage. And of course, football always kicks up these stories. Joshua King was at Everton on loan last season and, and didn't get a start didn't get a sniff really of of playing. Then he goes back and scores some terrific goals and very, very influential in the forward play that Watford had. But Everton did allow them to play. I mean, I, there's no miracle being uh, occurred here. Uh, Everton were, were, were terrible. Uh, and um, 
Watford ended up being pretty clinical and, and polishing them off in the, in the last stag- stages of the game. Um, it, 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 so there's mixed. There's always a mixed judgment on Ranieri. Uh, of course, he he wins the Prem, uh, Premier League title with Leicester, uh, and, and since then it's not been particularly great. Uh, and so it begs the question: Was that more Nigel Pearson that did that, or was it was it Ranieri um, added his spice to that championship winning team uh, of a few years ago? I'm still not quite sure how to take Ranieri. I, I know some people who knew him at Chelsea thought it was just. Crazy, crazy time, and that he wouldn't take the club anywhere. I wish him, I wish him well. I do. Uh, I, I like to think that he he can still manage um, and manage well at, at this stage of, of life because he's into his seventies, isn't he? But for Watford, last week's win will have given them great heart. Um, taking on Southampton, who I think are capable of pretty well anything. They, they, they can switch off and they can switch on, and when they do switch on, they've got potential and quality to score goals. So. It's, it's an interesting one. Um, but again, Watford being where they are in the league table, uh, you know, they need to keep an eye on home form. And, and this is one that they will expect that they can win. And what makes it interesting, Southampton will think exactly the same. Two of my favourite statistics from last weekend came from that game. And, you know, we've had a Chelsea 7, Norwich nil. We've had United getting beaten 5-0 by Liverpool. But it was that game which had the best statistics their last five away wins have come under five different managers. And uh, Josh King, his last Premier League goal before the one he scored for Watford at Goodison Park came for Bournemouth at Goodison Park, despite the fact he played for Everton in between. So <laughs> sometimes the Premier League's got a, a funny way of throwing these things up. Right, that's it for the weekend's Premier League preview here on The Dugout. My thanks to Dean Hammond and Trevor Stephen. Appreciate your time as ever. Don't forget if you hit the subscribe button, that way you won't miss another episode of the show again. We are the only podcast with a new episode every single day of the Premier League season. That's it for today and we'll catch you next time. The Dugout Premier League Preview Football Social Daily